Welcome to a very special edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series. On this edition, we had the honor of interviewing legendary Canadian trumpeter Al Muirhead. He has spent his life entertaining fans with his blend of jazz, traveling all over Canada and spots around the world. He talked about his love of the trumpet, tales over his career, what is next, and much, much more. Dig it, my friends. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, sir. Thank you for taking your time out and speaking with us today. Oh, thank you for asking. Absolutely. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in here and get to the alpha of your life. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Regina, Saskatchewan. And I lived there for, oh, about the first 30-some years of my life before moving to Calgary. Now, that area you were born in, was there a particular element of jazz that was alluring to you that wanted to make you get into the craft? There was. Uh, you know, it was pretty uh, big bandish kind of style at the time. And um, we were very lucky in, in Saskatchewan to be able to pick up radio stations from the U.S. And that's when I first started hearing people like Old Miles and Dizzy and um, that kind of people. And I just fell in love with um that new kind of music they were calling bebop. Right on. At, at that time, and um, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, buying re records and transcribing solos and so on is how I uh, got started. Now, what was your first instrument? How old were you, and what was it like? Well, they, we had a, a pretty much all the brass instruments in our house. My brother was a... Um, learning to play at that time as well. So we had tubas and euphoniums and trombones and trumpets and cornets and everything. And um, I got interested in the tuba, and that was the, the first instrument that I played. And I played in, you know, community bands and so on until about the age of 12 when I switched to the cornet, which, of course, is very much like a trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. So... What was your first experience like playing live, like an actual gig? When was it, and what was that like for you? Um, I suppose my first professional gig would be playing the Barnum and Bailey Circus. I was only 12, and um, they wanted me to play in, in the band. In those days, they hired, you know, it must have been a 25-piece band or whatever to play for the circus. And I had to join the Musicians Association in order to be able to play uh, that circuit. So that was my first um, professional gig, I suppose. Right on. Uh, and that was at 12. How do you approach a gig today versus the way you did in the beginning? Is there a different way that you go into it? Um, what, what are the contrasting I, feelings? Not much difference. I was... I was um, brought up in the old school where it was our job to make the conductor or the leader happy and that was our first concern uh, making sure that you made the that you were doing what the leader wanted you to do and um, I developed a very good ear at a young age so uh, I had no problem playing in tune and uh, my reading was always getting better so it was just a labor of love I guess yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, just loved it. Very cool. What do, what do you like best about being a musician? I think what it is is that we are able to express ourselves and our true feelings through our music, which is uh, something I think a lot of people never have the opportunity to do. So, uh, 
life, you know, the everyday living and and problems that everyone goes through. It was kind of a uh, an escape when when I played music to to get away from the normal problems of uh, everyday. Right on. So your latest album, it's about time. Great listen, I love this disc. And did you? yeah, it's I'm glad you did. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful disc and. Um, I want to know what went into this album. What was the inspiration? Kind of take me through the creative process a little bit. Well, the fellow that decided that I was going to do this album was Cody Hutchison, who uh, owns uh, Chronograph Records. And he says, Al, we're going to make a recording of you. And my initial response was, yeah, that's just what the world needs is another trumpet album. You know, like <laughs> I had really no desire to do it, but he convinced me. Uh-huh. And I was able to uh, convince a couple of old friends of mine, Mr. Tommy Banks, who um, is a great piano player, and P.J. Perry, who's also a great jazz saxophone player, to join me on this album. So, And we, you know, I've known Tommy for 60-some years, and P.J. about 55 years, so, and we played all kinds of different things together, you know. Tommy did the music for the 88 Olympics, and I was in the orchestra for that. And, um, oh, I would go up to Edmonton, where Tommy's from, and play shows, and, you know, we'd just known each other for, for many years, and continually kept crossing one another's paths in the, in the playing business, you know. It was uh, so it, it became a really fun time, a good visit, and um, we had nothing really planned how we were going to do things. It sort of worked out in the studio, and, and uh, it, the way jazz should be, it was jazz all the way through. You know, we were adding things, taking things away, and all of us were involved, not just me. And uh, I really enjoyed that process. Very cool. You know, since we're in America, we kind of get mired in the American side of jazz, but I do have a lot of Canadian jazz on the show, so I want to ask you, how is the uh, Canadian jazz scene these days? Uh, I think it's pretty much going the way it is in the U.S. You know, it seems to be young players are coming out, out of the university and colleges with better skills, better equipment, better teaching, more knowledge than we ever dreamt of having. The only thing that I'm finding is missing is places for them to play. Uh, we don't have the clubs and, and the jazz scenes as we once had, so they ha- there are less opportunities for them to play and really learn the business. You know, I was lucky, and uh, for example, I worked in the Bam Springs Hotel for a four or five years, and not that we just played jazz, but it was always a jazz influence. And, you know, we played six, seven nights a week for years, honing our skills and, and uh, uh, learning to play with another, what to do, what not to do. Uh, and I think the younger people have not had that opportunity. So what I'm hearing when I listen to them is everyone is starting to sound the same. Yeah. You know, they've all got the patterns down and they all know their scales and, and you can hear a very much sameness in, in their approach. Whereas in the old days, if you listen to Louie or Miles or Dizzy, you know, listen to a few bars, you knew who it was. They had each had their own style. And that seems, I think, to be missing now. Yeah. 
So, how, how do you feel about that? I, I think what you said is something that I've heard echoed very much so with musicians. And as far as somebody that's spinning these discs, there's just some that really pop out, but I think there is kind of a manufactured process that goes into it. And I think also what's happening with a lot of kids these days, um, you know, Phil Woods was very popular for saying, if you really want to learn the craft, you need to get out on the road and travel as much as you can. And I think that's one of those things that probably the crop of graduates need to keep in mind. There's one way of learning in the classroom, but there's another way of actually getting out in the world and accumulating all these experiences to give you a more richer, unique Gosh, tone. He's so right, you know. I heard that story about him. Put him in a bus, paint the windows black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Travel around for 24 hours and then went to a club with an out of tune piano and, <laughs> and make them all get out of the bus and play for four hours and put them back in the bus again. Yeah. If they can do that for a couple of weeks, maybe they'll have a chance of becoming a musician. I, I like that approach. Yeah. We that... had an opportunity to play with Phil a number of years ago. What a great, great man, great player. And, such a treat for us here in Calgary. Yeah, I actually interviewed him last week, and it's very rare that I will feel a very fierce energy that's exhibited in his music, and it comes out in his voice. You, you, you realize within seconds uh, <laughs> the bravado he has in life, why it comes out so well in his music. Yes. For sure. sure do. Um, yeah, I just love him. He's a great guy, for sure. Um, so... You have been nicknamed the Elder Statesman of Jazz Trumpet in Alberta. How did that come about? I'm not so. I guess maybe my age is what, the, what does that, and I'm still playing and still being involved. Young guys keep me uh, very active here and include me in almost everything that's going on jazz-wise, which is I really appreciate and, and really love, and I make sure I get into... Uh, or I don't get into a position of something that I can't handle. You know, I don't have the stamina and the range and all that as I once had. I'm, I just turned 79 the other day. Yeah, so it's kept me young. It's kept me involved with all the young people, and um, I've been very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's awesome. So over the years, who have you played with in the world of jazz? Well, we did get to, uh, we had a big band, oh, lots of years ago, maybe 20-some years ago, and we uh, opened and played with Dizzy, Wonderful. which was really a great treat for us. We played some of his big band arrangements, and he led us, and we, we had a wonderful time. And then he finished the concert just with his quartet, and that was wonderful. We played with Bobby Shue just recently, oh, maybe last year. Bobby came in and did a show with, we have a big band in Calgary that works every second Saturday at a club. And, and has been doing so for about 12 years, which is really amazing. Yeah. And Bobby Shue came up and, and did a concert with us. We did a trumpet thing in the, at the Banff Center a few years ago, and Doc was there, and all the great trumpet players all over the world were there. It was put together by another Canadian trumpet player who is now the trumpet teacher at UCLA, that is Jens uh, Lindemann. Yeah. We used to be with the um, Canadian brass. Yeah. And uh, Lance put this whole thing together. So we got to work with Doc and all these magnificent color players. It was really a treat. Very cool. Yeah, it was. And I also had, at a very young age, a chance to sit by Thad. 
concert. They came over to our piano player friend's house and we jammed until nine o'clock the next morning. So I had that <laughs> opportunity to sit beside that cool. and be come awed by his playing. It was really special. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, you know, as the elder statesman of jazz, you've been around, you've seen a lot. What do you try to teach the musicians that you play with? Well, I think the thing that I try to do is, yes, we all how to play our instruments. We have, we have to practice, we have to work on all our scales and our technique and all the important things. But when we play, to try and be, I think, to try them and be themselves. Try not to copy anybody else. You know, uh, I remember uh, Wayne Bergeron was in town here a few years ago, and he, he gave a clinic, and his opening was re- remarked to, the, to all the trumpet players in the audience was, this is a trumpet, it makes mistakes, get used to it. Like, don't be afraid to make those mistakes, you know, like get out there and give it a whirl and, and uh, get to the edge of the cliff and jump. And yeah. You may get a few scrapes and bruises on the way down, but so what? You yeah. Know? Like, that's how we learn and get better. Yeah, yeah, the fearlessness factor. So, conversely, what have the musicians you've been able to play with over the years taught you about playing and living? Uh, I think I think it really goes together. You have to be truthful, honest, have integrity, uh, be prepared. All the things that we need in everyday life is is a good part of what we need to do musically honest to be prepared uh, to love what we do to enjoy life and music well speaking of what has inspired you for all these years you have longevity you have a, a, a great sound what has been the inspiration for you and your music I just love to play and you know it, it it's not just jazz that I've always played I played in dance bands I played in the symphony Played all kinds of shows, circuses, horse shows, ice shows, you name it. You know, we played every different kind of musical situation you can imagine. Even did a, uh, a side with um, uh, Ian Tyson on a, on a country album. You know, so like it's not just jazz. Although I'm sure with Ian, he, he probably thought it was maybe a little too jazzy. But then you don't hear the, a trumpet with a, a country group that often. So yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's just playing music and being with musicians. I just love music and I love to play, and I guess that's just it. You know, I just uh, love doing it. Let me ask you this: of all the albums that you've been a part of throughout the years, is there one that really sticks out that was very pivotal or memorable for you? Well, most of them I was, you know, maybe. Uh, pick to, to add some background or maybe a little solo or something. Uh, we do have a big band in town called the Primetime Big Band, and we, we made an album oh, a few years ago now, and uh, that was really good because we had a whole week to record and to uh, rehearse, and we did bring in a, an engineer from California to record it. That was fun, and and I, and I thought the band played very well, you know, for a local band. And um, there were some really nice moments on, on that album, and I enjoyed that very much. Cool. Very I can't cool. think of 
there any other one that really outstands? You know, I did an album once with uh, a band from the Bamp uh, Springs Hotel, and that was fun. It was just a, a quartet, you know, bass drums and, and myself and a singer. And uh, that was very different. It was more commercial. Uh, it was designed to, to sell to the uh, patrons of the Bamp Springs Hotel, who at that time were mostly Japanese. Yeah. So there was a lot of Japanese songs on the album. You know, that was, was a lot of fun as well. For all the people that you played for throughout all these years, do you have a really good story about uh, a fan compliment or the way that your music moved a fan? Not, not offhand, I don't. I'm sorry, I can't answer that. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. Do you have any really good jazz stories that, that, that are safe to air? Just something that was really cool that happened on the road that uh, just is a good jazz story? <laughs> well, uh, the good jazz story, I think one of the most memorable times uh, I can remember as, as a young guy, maybe in 18, in that age, was I went to Vancouver and there was a very big jazz concert happening with Stan Kenton Orchestra. Uh, Shorty Rogers and the Giants had his band there with some great players, like guys like Shelly Mann, Mel Lewis, naming some drummers here, uh, Igor, or uh, not Igor. And I also, I, what made me really appreciate that concert was getting to see Art Tatum. Wow. He was he was still playing him and Slam Stewart, so I, I got to see Art Tatum, and there was a great many wonderful American jazz artist there. Really loved that evening, and it was, you know, I can, I can still see it in my head right now, just enjoying the, the concert as I did, Very and cool. hearing all those great players, and so many of them all in one spot. So have you ever swung through uh, Kansas City or any, any spots around here in the Midwest and played before? I haven't. Uh, I think as far down, I, I did play the Davenport uh, Big Spiderbeck Festival a number of years ago. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And uh, with a with a band out of, um, mostly out of Edmonton, Tommy Banks was in that band as well. And th that was a memorial, a memorable time for me as well. We got to play with an old trombone player by the name of Spiegel Wilcox, who used to play with Bix. Oh, cool. And he was still living in Davenport, and he would come and sit in with our band, and, and he was in his 90s at the time, and he still played great. And, and uh, I really enjoyed that, just to have that personal experience of getting to play with him. And he played with Bix, you know, that was, that was really special. That's cool, for sure. So that's... Uh, that's a, you know, we did, a, I did, when I was younger, we did, used to do some some uh, university gigs in Montana, you know, close to Saskatchewan, and that kind of thing with, with uh, Regina bands. But uh, I haven't traveled a lot in, in the U.S., pretty much all over Canada, and, and I have traveled Europe uh, for, you know, a few weeks, did play in... Um, Japan for a couple of weeks with a piano player from Canada. His name was Frank Mills, and he had a popular tune out at the time called Music Box Dancer. You might remember him. Yeah. And uh, we toured all over Japan. That was a great, great time. But being to to um, Australia to play, you know, so yeah, gotten around a little bit and really enjoyed it. That's cool. So 
Has jazz made the world a better place? I think so. I think it's one of the uh, really important art forms, that, music forms that, that has happened over the last hundred years or so, or more than a hundred years. And uh, it's known around the world, especially by musicians in every country in the world. I have some Russian friends who used to transcribe all the, the great um, big bands and, and small group stuff because they, jazz was sort of banned in Russia for so many years. And uh, they would listen and like it. Another thing is, is that Europe, the, the audiences in Europe seem to appreciate it so much more than than we do, you know, in America and Canada. Yeah. It, they seem to really, really appreciate it and know about it, and uh, which is gratifying. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a very important part of our musical life. So let me ask you this. You've you've had a a long fruitful career. What is left for you to accomplish? Oh gosh, I don't know that, that there's. I've never set out to really become. You know, uh, all I've enjoyed doing is is playing and being with the guys. I really enjoy being with musicians. They have a work sense of humor, most of them, <laughs> and I enjoy that and just the hanging with them and the playing and. It's, uh, I just hope to be able to, to do it for as long as I can. And right as soon on. as I feel that I'm to that stage where I'm going to be holding everybody back, well then, that'll be time to pack it up. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep keep at it. Right on. Speaking of packing it up, let's say a kid opens up the grand book of the history of jazz and comes across your name. What do you want the world to remember you and the way that you played and your contribution to jazz? Just my love of the music. Um, to be um, honest, to be yourself, and to uh, make beautiful music. I guess that's what I would want them to remember me as. If that were the case, I'm not so sure that would be the case. <laughs> Hey, Al, thanks again. I'm so glad I've come across your music and had a chance to speak with you. Thanks again and continued success. And thank you, Joe. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the legends that give us all that jazz. And thanks to the great Al Muirhead for his time and love of jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.